I'm flying out tonight through the thunder and rain. Someone's got us. All right, welcome. This is Nonprofit Tangent, and I am Bill, and I'm here with Elizabeth David Dombrowski, who is the founder and executive director of Good Counsel Services, and Karen Orr. So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Well, actually, I'll first just say that this episode we're going to do. Uh, clips from different interviews that I've done over the last year and a half of advice. And I've called on your services to help me weigh in on the advice of these different people. So just actually tell us a little bit about what Good Counsel Services does and okay. uh, yeah, give us. Great. Thanks, Bill. Well, I'm really glad to be here. Um, so Good Counsel Services came out of my actual work with Karen Orr, which is the Jerusalem Center for Blind Children with Multiple Disabilities. I was attending school at night while serving as the executive director of a uh, relatively small in terms of our staff here in New York organization. And I realized there were legal issues that were coming up, but we didn't have someone who was dedicated to handling those. And I started to ask peers about what they were doing, people who were running other smaller organizations. Um, some were depending on board members, others were looking at friends and family, some had pro bono attorneys that were helpful for certain projects. And what I was realizing overall is that there was a need that wasn't being met. There wasn't a place that was dedicated to helping not just not-for-profit organizations at early startup stages and in intermediate stages, but also social impact organizations that are for-profit. And so that's where Good Counsel was, uh, Good Counsel Services rather, was born. And we focus on four pillars of work. One of them is the legal. And I also have been a fundraising professional for most of my adult career. And so the second pillar of our work is in the financial resource development. Um, the third pillar is accounting. And the fourth pillar is marketing. And we tend to try to be strategic about how an organization brands itself. And I think that what makes our work unique is that we do this in a holistic way. If you, if you come with an issue that you want to have trademarks, you may think it's only legal, but that's going to impact your marketing and your budget and the other ways that you're working. And so we try to make sure that we're not just handling one issue. We're really thinking holistically about the individual we're dealing with and the mission of the organization he, she, or they are representing. What we're trying to do with Good Counsel Services is really create a community where people have a place to get that good advice um, and to know where to go. And so I think that's why you're a great person to talk to about this on this episode. These are interviews that I've collected over the last year and a half from people who are at the very early stages of getting involved in that, some sort of project to people who have spent decades and are working for organizations that have been around up to 150 years. You know, with your background, you'll help me sift through this a little bit and make some sense of, uh, of some of the messages that come out, I think, of these things. I call this first segment, Get Help. And the three organizations we're going to hear from is Lessons for My Daughters, the Global Learning Trust, and Single Step. Lessons for My Daughters is a New York City nonprofit that you are very familiar with. Mm -hmm. They've come through Good Counsel, mm -hmm. and they are supporting uh, gender empowerment and sorry, socio-emotional development of students. Global Learning Trust is from Pakistan, and they are an organization that's kind of done a lot of different things, but definitely a lot of social work and a lot of peace work uh, in Pakistan. And Single Step is a Bulgarian organization that uh, is set up, um, and it's an LGBTQ rights advocacy and support center. The work of Good Council Services, we've actually broadened our work to help um, folks from all over the world. 
um, oh, cool. with immigration issues. So currently I have a case of a family of seven from Pakistan that we're helping. And the mother in the family um, is actually starting her own catering business. And so we're trying to focus on her um, as a matriarch in a family who's trying to make it here and do her work. And in terms of the single step, um, our first case that we took on was for a, a woman who's a lesbian from Ukraine, and she faced a lot of challenges and persecution. And so we helped her succeed in getting asylum here in the U.S. That's awesome. So, All right. I'm, I knew I brought you it's in It's not right really reason. connected to the top, but, you know, those two organizations, you know, doing work that's in our wheelhouse in a way. Perfect. All right. Cool. So uh, let's get to those interviews. Burning rubber on the interstate Smoke rises to the sky Left my home in a disarray I just had to get out Gonna find a place If you were to, if you were to go back in time and talk to yourself at the beginning of this process What's one thing, one piece of uh, wisdom that you would give yourself? Not to say I didn't have mentors, but I think I would take it more seriously and really meet with other people who had been through a similar process just to be able to kind of avoid like certain mistakes or wasting a lot of time, right. wasting a lot of money um, and things like that. I think I would have told myself to really get um, definitely a mentor. Okay. Yeah. Is it is it like, and I feel like I do this sometimes, where I just get really excited about an idea and I just want to start the idea. Yeah. I don't want to take I don't want to take a pit stop or right. pause because yeah. I'm like I got like I'm excited and yeah. I have this energy and I want to just start throwing it into right. this project. Yeah, I think somebody to help you envision, like taking your big vision and help you work backwards from it. Gotcha. I think that would be really invaluable, sure. especially to anybody starting out. Because you don't realize like how many hats you have to wear, you don't realize like how much goes into it. Mm -hmm. So much goes into it. When all I really want to be doing is teaching, right. you know. But there's so much other stuff going on in the background. Right. Sure. You have come from, you know, starting an organization from scratch. Probably right. uh, it sounds like multiple times, really. With one piece of wisdom you could kind of pass on? Get help. Get help. That was easy. <laughs> That's easy. Get help. If you are going to be stubborn like I was, you really get behind and you hurt a lot. So get help. My kid used to always tell me, Mom, get help. And I said, No, I can do it. No, I can do it. Mm -hmm. But so it took me 10 years. If I had gotten help, if I had gotten some fund, and you know, till today, I never got any funds. That's also an amazing part. I've done so many big and huge things and I never got any funds except for that 200,000 that I got. That's all. So it is all on my own. I have created this whole mansion. I don't know how I survive, how we do it. It's just the divine. He makes it happen. So I recommend not many people has this power. So I recommend get help. First thing you do is get help. Make a bigger team. Get as much funding as you can. To make it happen don't do it like me i put the project first and there's no funding and then i do it but somehow it happens not many people can do it it's very difficult right. to survive and that's all 
what advice would you, if you could go back, uh, I mean, you're still kind of early in this process, if you could go back a year, is there anything you would tell yourself, uh, anything you'd keep in mind, or? Um, the lessons learned, I guess, um, well, I kind of knew it. I mean, everything takes twice as long as you thought, uh, and you just have to be stubbornly persistent. I mean, don't take no for an answer. It's just as simple as that. But yeah, w w if you're thinking of starting uh, on a nonprofit organization, um, number one, you really have to believe 100% in it because it shows, you know, to other people if if your not part is not in, is not into it. Um, then the other thing is look around the people closest to you, uh, your community, whatever it is. Uh, I mean, I have all sorts of communities that are helping me for various reasons. Uh, but again, the most kind of um, interesting example is my CrossFit community. Uh, people who have no reason to care about uh, a small country like Bulgaria, LGBT rights um, in Bulgaria, people who didn't even know me before that, but they felt my enthusiasm, they felt that I want to create a community, and that's what CrossFit is about. Uh, so don't, don't think it's impossible because uh, I'm sure every single person has, uh, is a part of a community that cares. The only thing that you have to do is to show that you care. Right. The kind of sight you'll see is something that this little town haven't seen before. Gonna find a place somewhere you. Gonna find a place somewhere you won't find me. Oh, I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. This is not a call. This is not a call I want to make. Okay, so that was uh, Lessons from My Daughters, Global Learning Trust, and Single Step from Bulgaria. What did you make of the advice from this particular segment? I think the advice resonated with me as someone who is leading a startup, because mm -hmm. um, Good Counsel Services is only a couple years old. But I think if I, what I took out of what was said in the, the founder of Lessons for My Daughter, I think she was talking about the importance of not just getting a mentor, but using that advice. And I think that's really valuable. I mean, I, I try to be a mentor to younger people, but I'm also looking for mentors constantly in areas where I don't know a lot. And I think it actually is consistent with what was said by the leader of Global Learning Trust because she talked about getting help and that she, you know, she said, what, I was working for 10 years and it would have been such a shorter period of time if I was willing to, you know, express my vulnerability. Um, I have a post-it note in my office that says delegate or die. And it reminds me that I cannot be, I cannot just take it all on my own shoulders. It won't get done. And I've learned, I think, that it's, I'm not going to fall victim to that even sense of self-importance. I think what I heard, and I'm curious to know what you were hearing from what was said from Single Step, um, was the value of patience. Um, and I think he mentioned a little bit about that and looking to community um, and to try to build that and, um, and to be aware of the community that's around you and how to use that for your own benefit. And I think that's something that's true, especially in the startup phase because you can wish that you had these connections way beyond what you have, but if you focus on who you have and who's involved, 
it's at least a starting place for you and it can give you that confidence to be able to get the support and it might not always at the beginning be financial but people pitching in to help you out as you work on your adventure and bring it forward one of the things I hope to get to as we go through this is I think one of the contrasts in the advice I see in this segment and other segments is the difference between taking your time and being patient but also being balanced and not trying to dot every I and cross every T before you jump into really yeah. getting some work done. What do you find with people that you work with? Are they willing? Are they too willing to just like jump in and not get help? Is that something yeah, you have to feel like you have to encourage yeah, people to go we, out and do? We that happens to us a lot. We made this. We make this joke about being prophylactic, right? <laughs> we haven't found like the right way to use the, the metaphor, but we want people to come to us before <laughs> issues come up. I have a client currently. I'm not giving out confidential information, but he is leading an organization that does incredible work around the world for the LGBTQI community, and he has an intellectual property issue Um, and the issue if he had thought at the beginning stages about the long-term use he would have structured the ownership differently if you take the time at the beginning to think what's the structure that makes sense for me and go to people it can be useful so that's one of the things we hope we are doing for the wider community is removing the issue of money from the table initially let's find out what your problems are let's help you get going in the right direction and then later when it becomes something that's a venture that's important to you and able to provide the support that you need, we can worry about how to get the donations and support to make our own work sustainable. Excellent. So let's move on to the next segment. This one I call Focus on the Mission. We have actually five different uh, people speaking in this one. One is from something called Daniel's Music Foundation, which works with developmentally disabled community. One Sandwich at a Time, which works to get groups of people together and make sandwiches that they then deliver to homeless people around New York City. Purses for nurses, which... Oh, no. They're friends of ours, too. Oh, great. They're, they're amazing. So they mm-hmm. take in purses, fix them up, and resell them online. Those profits fund nursing trips to developing healthcare systems around the world. Brooklyn Center for Quality Life, which is a, a local organization in Brooklyn that supports the community and an immigrant community. And then Impact Travel Alliance, which is a global... A nonprofit that supports sustainable travel practices and companies, um, and they have chapters all over the world. It's incredible the amount of incredible organizations that you brought together and how diverse they are. Yeah, yeah it's a, really inspiring. The people you know, that I get to that's talk part to. of why we love our work so much. Each day, <laughs> you know, it makes me feel like I can turn the news off and not feel bad because I'm touching all these people that are doing important work. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So this is called uh, Focus on the Mission. Hopefully, that gives a sense of what uh, they're going to talk about. So long, my friend. I hope the sail you set will blow. So long, my friend When will I see you again? When you cross the What is it, something you learned? That if you were to get into the DeLorean and fly back to uh, 12, you know, um, 12 years ago, what would you tell yourself? I think that question is two-part. Um, one, what I learned is not to judge to live in the moment, to know that everyone has a talent and a special ability. If I flip to the organization, the business side, I would say that um, 
focus on the mission and your principles rather than results and how much you're raising. And that if you're honest and pure about what you're doing, good things will follow. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I learned that if I knew how much I didn't know, I'm not <laughs> sure I would have started. <laughs> Right. We've learned so much yeah. through the, and we've had so many great people around us mm-hmm. that have helped us and counseled us, um, and that made to this point um, a critical, critical mistake. We've made loads of mistakes, <laughs> and that's something um, that's, that was detrimental. So it's detrimental, but I think um, not being afraid to fail. That's okay. Another thing. Right. Yeah. You have actually some experience now running a nonprofit. It's been seven years, right? What is something that you have learned in the process of the seven years in running a nonprofit? I two things, and I uh, I just said one. Pick one. No, <laughs> you have to Go pick ahead. one. We were at a conference two weeks ago, and this is what I shared, and I I because it really has changed my outlook. One of the best pieces of advice I got in the early days was from this woman, very successful businesswoman. And she said, my advice to you is celebrate the small things because it's very easy to see the end result and say, or the end goal and say, how am I gonna get there? And then you feel discouraged. But by celebrating the smallest of things makes you really enjoy that journey. So it, you know, this, we fed a hundred people or we had 20 volunteers show up or we got our food handler certificate, like the, the simplest of things, or the first intern we got. I was so excited, I was cheering. I mean, you would think I won the lottery, and which we did with her. Um, but I think that's the some of the best advice that I have gotten. And then on the nonprofit side, it's really, the fundraising aspect is what keeps you alive. You obviously need donations. Um, I have never been comfortable with it, but I'm starting to realize that it is required. But I would not, I would tell people not to underestimate the power of word of mouth. The, the majority of um, volunteers, donors, support has literally been through word of mouth. Someone tells someone, maybe their company is looking for something um, as an employee give back or, or a child tells their mother. Um, and it's been the power of word of mouth has been so eye-opening to me. You've been at this for four years. If you could get in a time machine, visit your 2014 self, what would you what would you say? Um, I wouldn't think so much. <laughs> I would execute much sooner because so many of the milestones we've hit are because we just said, you know what, we're not ready, but let's just do it, and it'll fall in place. This first trip could have been delayed another two years with all the planning we had to do, but about nine months ago. We looked at our five-year plan from the year prior, and we were like, guys, we're going to miss this milestone because we have to do this and this and this, and we have to plan this, and we have to prepare that, And but we're not ready for this. And finally, I just said, team, let's just do it. Let's just say we're sending two nurses abroad in the spring of 2018 and make it happen. And it's been a train wreck at times, <laughs> trying to force things to fall together and figuring out the snags that came up along the way, but you don't get there and you don't improve without that failure, essentially. Right. Like you have to, you have to start making things happen to figure out how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'd execute much sooner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, 
is there anything that um, hasn't come up to talk about that you wanted to mention or think it would be important to mention? I think it's really important to focus on relationships. Um, I would say that five, six years ago, I was personally quite a selfish person and unknowingly, you know, unintentionally, unknowingly selfish person, like probably a lot of young people are. Um, and I really believed that I could save the world. And I know now that I can't, but that I certainly can have an impact on some situations and on some industries. And I think relationship building is what has taught me to be selfless, is focusing on what other people need as opposed to what I need. Because when you go into a developing country, whether as a nurse or just as an everyday volunteer building houses or whatever it is you want to work on, it's not about you. You're not doing it for the Instagram posts. You sh certainly shouldn't be doing it for the Instagram posts. Um, it's not about going back and like pounding on your chest and telling everyone how great you are. And it's not about um, even what feels good because a lot of times the most meaningful work doesn't feel like you accomplished much, but it, it is, it's, it's impactful. And you, you always have to focus on what the people you're serving are asking for and not what you think they need. I find it hard to believe that you got into nursing, not, not without that already, You'd that mindset. Think, but, um, you know, getting into nursing was a lot of like, what's a good profession? What am I good at? Um, and I loved the sciences, but I'm telling you after, after that first year, I realized, wow, like this, this is what I was meant to do for a lot of reasons. Um, and selfishness certainly isn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's one thing you, you, you could pass back onto your younger self and be like, Oh, this is a thing that I learned or, Okay, so definitely what I've learned is nonprofit is not for someone who wants to get rich fast anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, especially volunteering. This is definitely something that you do for the love of doing it. So definitely I would say for those who are interested in nonprofit work, find a nonprofit that really speaks to you. Whatever your passions or whatever your desires are, because it, it can be very frustrating. A lot of late hours, and I'm talking two, three, four in the morning, sometimes you're up putting events together, reaching out to certain people. If you don't love it, you're not going to do it. That's just flat out, and I've had to learn it the hard way. Um, but and the, the the people you work with also, I think, have a lot to play in that. I just love the staff, so it's easy for me to just kind of do what I have to do because I feel like they're phenomenal. So that's you know that's also something that um, I've learned. But definitely with BCQL, I think it works because we pay attention to the needs of those that we serve. Um, and I think that's what's most important. You have to understand what the needs are and then try your best to meet those needs and to stay true to yourself. I think sometimes nonprofits kind of lose sight of who they are because they just kind of go into everything. You know, you see a grant, it looks appealing, let's just try to change our image to kind of appeal to this grant. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, you don't know who you are, you lost track of your mission, your goals, and you're just like a mess. And I think what's worked for us is just staying true to who we are, staying in our lane, you know, for lack of better terms, and just 
keep going in that same direction. Like I said, I'm hoping for the future we're able to get that million dollar allocation or twelve million dollar <laughs> allocation so we can really do some big things. But for the little grants that we do get, the little acknowledgement that we do get, I think we do very well with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's also very big. It's just staying true to who you are as a nonprofit organization. Um, staying true to your mission and your goals, essentially. Yeah. Right. What was one piece of advice that you've learned now that you would give to yourself a few years ago when you were kind of at the start of this journey? I would, I would just say to have more confidence in what I was doing, which sounds silly to say like, oh, you should be more confident in your actions and just like do something and see if it works but I think especially as an entrepreneur when you have this idea and it starts to just like be your baby it's so easy to be like oh let me change this design or let me like fix my website or let me like formalize my pitch for what it's at Um, so much of what you're doing just happens from doing it Um, so even I've been talking to a lot of people about branding and mission statements lately and um, I repeat over and over and over again all the time now that we are a community that's aimed at solving issues like poverty or inequality through business and leisure travel, which is an easy statement. People get it. They're like, wow, I want to learn more. That's awesome. Um, it used to be like 10 <laughs> miles long. <laughs> right. So people would walk away. And they were like, wow, like, I really love what this girl is doing, but like I have no idea what she's doing. Right. Um, and so you just have to start like whittling down those ideas and really getting to the core part of it until it's something that is really focused on that singular idea. Um, but you can't do that if you're a perfectionist and you're worried about what everyone else is going to think about your website or like the typo or like, anything like that so like I would say like focus on the big vision and that will turn into a bigger vision okay I hope we find what we want to say to young men with a lot to prove I hope the roads I choose to travel will take me will take me back to you What did you think of the advice in in this segment? A lot of the advice um, hit home for me, particularly around a couple different areas where I found that there were a few people that came up with similar themes, but using it in different ways. Hmm. And one of those is the concept, they didn't use this phrase, or I didn't hear it, but the concept of mission creep. I think it was the Melissa from um, Purses for Nurses who mm-hmm. talked about, you know, when she, even when she was being critical of herself earlier in her life about, oh, she thought she could save the world. I think that there's so much need out there. And when we're brought to different things and we're made aware of things, we want to kind of take it all in. And that can be very difficult to manage um, because you have limited resources, both financial resources and human resources. And I think um, it was also said by the leader of the Brooklyn Center Quality of Life. She talked about, don't just chase the grant and the money. Um, really know what your mission is. And I think that it was also a a concept that Daniel's Music Foundation brought up about um, if you're you're staying pure and if you um, are doing that, the 
good things will follow. And he was talking specifically about the funds. I think it's really important to have a business plan as you are going forward in your work so that you know how you can make it sustainable. Because one of the challenges I have when I talk to clients is if they have this initially as a side hustle, um, and they want it to be something that's full time for them. They need to find a way for it to be able to do that unless they're independently wealthy. It and we, yeah, and we are very intentional on choosing clients regardless of their ability to pay. There is a lot of great will out there, and many people who are wealthy can afford to dabble in issues, and they don't have to make it as a living doing it. So one of the things that's really important at Good Counsel Services is that we have leaders who are really diverse from a socioeconomic background and can become leaders in their own sector, and that it's not just a sense of those that are wealthy and privileged sort of bestowing funds on those that aren't, because you need the diversity in terms of the experience, and sometimes you need somebody who went through homelessness in order to help other people deal with it and get out of it. And it can't just be uh, two different populations of people. So I think the funds and thinking pragmatically about where the funds are going to come from is important. But just as it was said by the leader of Brooklyn Center for Quality of Life, you need to stay true to who you are. You can't just chase a grant um, because it's out there. You need to really think about what your mission is and how you can sustainably support that mission. And I found that really interesting that it was popping up from the different um, folks in really different ways. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I thought was a nice thing to hear was the concept of celebrate small things. Uh, I think it was one sandwich at a time. Erin Vinian. Yeah, yeah, she's that was a great, I love that uh, that advice that she yeah. has on that. Yeah, when she was dancing about her intern, we felt like the same <laughs> way. I think our first donation was $25. And I remember like the moment and you know what had happened with it. And it's, you're doing really difficult work at the early stages and even at the bigger stages, right? And a lot of things that are working against you are not supporting you and you need to take time to celebrate. Any excuse, anytime an intern came or left, we had cupcakes, right? right? And those are just small ways, but to really focus on celebrating those small things because it's really day in and day out the work. And I think it was the um, Melissa from Purses for Nurses who talked about the concept of um, sometimes you don't know the work that you that actually is the most meaningful you're not aware of that and I think that's why it's really important to stay true to your mission and I challenge social impact leaders to think not only about their own mission but the community of people that they're a part of and sometimes in fundraising it's often seen as competition but funders actually today really want to hear about multiple organizations working together to do work more efficiently. Mm. It's not a zero-sum game. There are particular instances where you're up for a grant and only a certain people, certain number of folks can get it, and it is competitive. But it's not always a zero-sum game. There's a lot of ways that organizations can recognize that a need is not being filled or that it is being filled and refer folks to other places. Mm. So, and you, and you see here, actually, this is the segment I was kind of talking about earlier, where there's a tension between planning things out and being careful about work and being patient, which we yeah. heard early on. And then this time we're hearing, yeah. uh, I think, both uh, Kelly Louise from uh, Impact Travel Alliance and, and uh, Melissa from mm. Purses for Nurses both talking about, like, don't sit there and spend forever planning. You know, at some point you have to just pull the trigger and yeah. jump in. Yeah. Giving legal advice in particular to social impact organizations can be actually dangerous for me as an attorney because... If I really want them to protect their legal rights, they should just stay home, put the covers over their head, and not get out of bed, right? That's really the best legal right. advice because you're taking risk no matter what you're doing and what's the payoff, right? 
making the world a better place. What? Like you're going to get sued. Um, and so I have this kind of attitude when I talk to our clients that if you are going out there to do something different, right, whether it's any of the missions of these organizations, there are risks to be taken. You just want to be smart about it. And I have the post-it note that says delegate or die. But a few weeks ago, I added to it in my office, literally underneath delegate or die, it says, but supervise or sink. Okay. 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 This was a delegation and we learned through a difficult thing that the tasks had been delegated, but unless the adequate supervision is there, right? And I think that's the balance. And I think that tension is true not only for social impact leaders, but for anyone in a management, especially a small startup where you have limited resources, where are you going to put the energy? And I think it probably has a little bit to do with personalities also, because some people may be afraid to take the risks. They really need to tell themselves to go out there and do it. Um, I happen to know um, and admire a lot of the work that Melissa does. And she and I were in a panel together. This is the leader of Purses for Nurses. And she had done an incredible job putting together a very well done PowerPoint, right? And I could tell how much time she had spent on it. It was excellent. So someone like her, who does all the work, needs to also hear herself say, just go out there and do that. Yeah, you could always make that slide a little bit better. But unless you make the presentation, you're missing. At the other end of it... You may have somebody who um, is not making plans and then they're getting themselves into difficult situations. And I think it's sort of realize your own tendency and make sure there's a yang to the yin of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of thinking of it uh, personality-based. That helps me differentiate mm-hmm. that advice that was like kind of really conflicting in my head a little bit. Um, and it's circumstantial, too, I think. I think it really true, depends right? on what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, what is what is the risk? I mean, we had an organization that had come to us and they weren't incorporated yet. And they didn't want to. And there were reasons why they hadn't wanted to incorporate. Because to actually incorporate was to tell the world they were in business, right? And they were doing incredible work helping refugees. Um, but to incorporate meant the individuals involved were then linked in a way. And so there was oh, a decision to be made to actually just go out there and kind of blindly trust that the universe would support what they were doing. Doing because to actually stay back and to organize themselves, it would put them in more uh, more liability because they were officially organized. Um, and sometimes you have those kind of decisions and you just have to sit with the risk and own it where it is and say, this is a risk I'm willing to take. Other times you're not willing to take a risk because the, the payoff, and I don't just mean financial, like the mission, it's mm-hmm. not going to really be right. accomplished and it can really distract you. I think a couple of your folks had said that when they talked about... Um, Stay true to yourself, right? So don't take a risk. Don't go for that funding opportunity, right? Don't take that risk and run another program because it's going to keep you further away from what you want to do. All right. Uh, Let's jump into the third segment called talent management. We have three organizations that are going to make an appearance. One is uh, Build Tunisia, which is a Tunisian organization that supports conferences for high school students. So they do sort of TED style, you know, TED, uh, TED conferences with high school students. Daniel's Music Foundation, um, because they have, uh, there's a father-son team. So uh, this is the son who will be talking. And then a project called Identify Yourself, which is, um, and when I'm talking about early stages, this is one of those projects that's in the very early stages. It's um, a young man who is working on some different projects to counter Islamophobia. His big project, Identify Yourself, even he wasn't able to fully put a label on it. It was uh, a series of interviews with uh, different uh, Muslims and just their various experiences. And so here is Talent Management.
close to each other in the New York rain on a Friday night. They wait in line under a Broadway sign that has your name. You can. And then I wanted to ask about.、Um, Anything you've kind of learned over the, the process that, of of doing this? I have a whole skill set that I did learn thanks to be to build thanks to this leadership. One of them is talent management, and talent management is not really different from skill management because the talent is something that you have that is born with you. You know,、uh, two days ago, those guys from、uh, from Sambil. They were having, you know, a professional uh, uh, campaign for their event coming June 24th, and I said myself, there are people who are professionals going to design schools and marketing schools to be able to do this. Those guys have imagination; they didn't go to school or anything. So it's amazing, you know, and、um, it's a whole process for skills, you know. That are that are you know、uh, put into service for one single event for those kids. They're gonna spend like right now six months to prepare that. And I'm gonna tell you something. This event for June 24th, we are expecting 2,000 people. 2,000 people、wow. are gonna show up in that event. I said, how the hell did they manage to get you know this kind of you know budget? And how they manage it to have those teams? I think they have like a team for of 60 people. How they have speakers from over over the country? How did they, did, did they how, how did they do all that? You know. So when you have, what have you learned about when you get a collection of students who want to do a conference but they lack the skills? What have you learned that、um, that helps you in that situation? You just kind of throw them in the deep end, and they you see that they can swim, or they learn that they can swim. Yeah, exactly. This this is the point. You know. You don't have to expect them, you know, like you know, they have gonna have planning and they're gonna have like a spreadsheet and everything organized. But now it's more about, you know, it's more about, you know, their feelings and the, how they're gonna do things and who's ready, who's not, and that do the doing to the different thing. You can't keep, you know, keep, you know, an eye on that. It's not really, it's not really something which is organized and well, you know, planned. It's something. It totally, totally, sometimes you know, totally random. How about you, as the president of、uh, Daniel's Music、mm-hmm. Foundation? What, what have you learned?、Um, I guess I've learned just to accept everybody for what they can do. That's great. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a, the, you have a quote on the wall that I think is similar to that. What was, what's the quote on the wall you have that kind of、um, I'm trying to remember it.、Um, do not pity. Yeah, yeah I、few. think that's so. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely have a few, but there's one about、yeah. right. Don't pity. Do not、right. pity me for what you perceive I cannot do. Instead, come celebrate with me what I can. Beautiful. And then the other one is the only. The only disability. Oh yeah, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Right. That's <laughs> great. Thank you.
sure. What have you learned about doing a project? I think um, with projects like this, um, you realize that they're really based on communication and relationships. Um, because, you know, you're asking people for their time and you're asking people for their insight. And uh, that's a favor that they're doing for you. You know, they're not necessarily getting paid for that. Um, but the value might be more community driven. You know, in order for me to do this project well, yeah, sure. You know, there's the logistical, getting the camera and the audio good and all of that. But what's really more important is connecting with these people on a really personal level and doing it quickly. So really listening to them, understanding where they come from, understanding their experience, understanding their perspective. And I think that's what's been most enriching because I've had to be a really active listener through this whole process and really pay attention to those details and like carve out a story and understand what the story even is in the first place. Mm -hmm. And like that process, I mean, a lot of other people can relate, you know, a lot of videographers I'm sure can relate to that, you know, carving out the story and being a storyteller. But I've had, I think what's been most fun and most insightful for me is the learning how to be a storyteller okay. and learning how to uh, decipher the story and uh, carve it out. Right. Oh, very good. It would clear my thoughts and I could stop to think of you because you can make them cry. You can make them smile and alive. So that was Build Tunisia, uh, Daniel's Music Foundation, and Identify Yourself. And also, I should uh, just want to make a quick mention that the music throughout this episode is given to me by Ole Kirking. I was connected to him through email, and I really love his music. It's really, it's really nice. I, yeah, it's I very really soothing. <laughs> Great. So what did you, what did you make of the, some of the advice in that section? Um, so I thought that all three of the um, organization leaders had different perspectives that in some ways overlapped. I think the overlap is that the idea of, of listening, and I think it was specifically talked about by Identify Yourself. He used the phrase active listening. Yeah. He spoke about it in terms of communicating with the individuals he was bringing in to, I think, be involved in his project. And that he had to understand where they were coming from in terms of the community-driven aspects of the work that, that was being done and the connections that they were hoping to make and that he was going to help make through the work. And I th those things, the sense of communication, that understanding that their motivation being involved was to help the community and to also help connect people, he, he identified himself as having to actively listen to, to get that. That may not have been where he started. And I think that idea of actively listening um, and knowing that you don't necessarily always control the, re the result of it is something that BIL Tunisia talked about. He had mentioned that when he had a concept of talent, right, that it's not necessarily something that people are born with and it's the exposure. And I think he gave that example wherein there were um, a group of students who surpassed what he had expected them to be able to do. Right. And I think that that's always a great experience as a leader because you 
especially as you do it every day and it's a long work and you're working a lot of hours and oftentimes you're getting paid very little if anything at all and then you're pleasantly surprised when your cynical kind of hardened mind gets impressed by somebody who's able to do something that you didn't think was going to be done. And I think that that's part of that active listening and being open to it, right? I think active listening requires you to be open to something. And I think when the Danielle Music Foundation was talking about accepting everybody, and the focus is on what people can do, not on what they cannot. So rather than feeling pity, you can celebrate with them. And I think that all ties into being open to not only basing your decisions on what has happened in the past or that what you think is going to happen in the future, but be open to those happy accidents. Be open to the fact that someone who may not have had a particular level of training and background can surpass what you expected them to. That someone who, in another circumstance, may not be able to do something but has something else that they're able to do. Or in the example with identify yourself, that people who aren't getting any real immediate tangible benefit may still be willing to lean in and help out in a project where um, there's a larger, longer-term community positive result that can happen. Right. And actually listening to you now, it ties me back to something we talked about earlier and your post-it note, which... I think it's still there. Where is it? Oh, Delegate or die. Yeah. Right. Supervisor, think. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but definitely the idea, of, uh, I think there's that's this is sort of maybe the outcome of delegating. And that's something I'm always trying to do in my leadership of both the organizations that I run. You, as the boss of an organization, the buck stops with you. So you're the one who has to really make the decision and stand by your decision. But asking a lot of different people for their perspectives can really be helpful. Um, and that also empowering people on a task uh, to figure out how to get there is really important because it's not just for today that you're working on a task. You're creating relationships, hopefully, for the long term, and you're not going to be there every step of that moment of that person you're working with in terms of um, even if they're someone who's a volunteer or an intern or a trainee, you want to get them to think about how they would handle it if they're sitting in your seat. Because one day you're going to want to take a vacation or leave the organization <laughs> and someone's going to have to sit in that seat and right. to make sure that they're prepared for it is really important. Yeah, definitely. So I had a question about uh, good counsel services mm-hmm. and imagining someone maybe listening or maybe even one of these organizations were to uh, call you up on the phone and uh, set up an appointment. Maybe just um, walk me through very quickly, like what would that look like and what would that kind of on a, on a real tangible level, what, what would happen in that if that phone calls me. Okay, usually it's one of three different phone calls that comes in. And if anybody wants to call us, we're 718-598-3481. Please don't spam us. Um, <laughs> but the first phone call is someone who's interested in being part of our cohort. So each six months we run a pro bono complete program. They come to us as a cohort and they tell us what their needs are and why we should accept them pro bono. So that's one call that we field. Um, a second call is for someone who has an idea about how they want to do social impact work. They're not exactly sure how they want to do it because our work is both as a consultant, as an active listening to kind of think about that last segment. And so our initial call, we never, we never charge for initial consultations. Um, and we spend up to an hour kind of digging down to find out what your issues may be and giving you an opportunity to see how we work, which is in a holistic way. The third one, is people sometimes call us in crisis situations. So uh, something's gone wrong. 
The attorney general has reached out to them because some filing wasn't done. A contract that they thought was done correctly, but they never had an attorney take a look at is a problem. The person they partnered with either isn't paying them or has done something that wasn't supposed to be done. Um, and so we deal with like those nitty gritty legal issues that really need to be solved. Um, and that is something that we handle or are at the very early stages. We help them think it through. You know, all these things that come up that when you're in that exciting period of taking your idea and bringing it out into the world and the need is there, right? The need is there. So you don't want to just stay in bed freaking out about everything that could go wrong. What you should be doing is bringing your idea out there, having a confidential conversation, obviously. And I don't know, I don't think we said this earlier, but good counsel services, everything is shared with us is confidential. So you can tell us your deepest, darkest fears in terms of your organization. And we're there to um, protect those interests and make sure that um, those fears aren't realized. Or if they are already realized, how to deal with them and kind of make a plan for at least moving forward in a, in a positive way. Excellent. All right. So let's, uh, let's uh, go into our last segment here. Uh, the last segment is called uh, Labor of Love. Mm-hmm. And I kind of uh, wanted to keep this one for the last. First, we'll hear from the director of Amani House, which works on the ground in Liberia, as well as in Brooklyn. Uh, then we'll talk to the director of La Nacional, which is the restaurant and uh, Spanish Benevolent Society on 14th Street. And then the um, director of Building Beats, which is an organization that teaches students uh, DJing skills and entrepreneurial skills. And also, so really at the heart of it is uh, leadership skills. Then we will talk to uh, the person who puts together Chefs for Impact, which is the annual fundraiser for Impact Network. Uh, amongst other things that she does as well, but she's really talking about the, the major fundraising effort. And then the director of Trees New York, which helps um, train citizens, they call citizen pruners, to take care of trees around New York City, so to make sure that the, the trees continue to flourish, and uh, as well as adding new trees around the city. I'm flying out tonight through the thunder and rain Someone's got us by the strings now When I'm playing puppet games Everything is shaking And there's nothing I can do What kind of wisdom would you like to share with the, um, yourself at, at an earlier stage and then running the profit, non-profit? I think I'm going to tell you the answer you don't want to hear first. I would tell myself, are you... Okay, I'll just edit it out if I don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I would tell myself, don't do it. (laughs) It can't be done. That's what I would tell myself. It can't be done. If I went right back to the beginning. Okay. It's impossible. It's hard work. Nobody's going to help you. You're never going to have enough money. Don't do it. Um, What I would tell myself when I see a child, for instance, who can't read at all in fifth grade, and we teach him to read in six months Mm -hmm. using adult literacy materials, I would tell myself, it's all been worth it. Because that's a skill where I, I am able, have learned to identify issues. And if I can't get help, I'll follow up and solve it anyway. And I think... Anybody that works with me leaves here. Usually I lose my staff. They go to higher paying jobs. They are so well equipped. 
Um, and so it's, it's, we're working outside, we're working inside, we're, we're making things happen. When I think about leaving the country because I hated it, to be honest with you, killing my child, mm -hmm. the name of the organization is After My Child, so she lives on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, bad things happen to good people and um, happen for a reason. And I don't know that I would have stuck to it as much if not just angry and determined. Mm -hmm. You know, using outrage to fuel my and propel the activities I do. So I would say to people who want to start nonprofits, it's a labor of love. If you're not willing to invest everything you have, from money to relationships to, you know, um, hard work. I used to work 24-7. You would find me in here at 2 in the morning. Seriously, people mm -hmm. got, are you still in there? Really? Because <laughs> we had a gate at that time and it would be down if I wasn't here. Um, and so I don't do that anymore. Um, but I think I am, if, you know, when day is done, I feel satisfied with my life. I, I did what I wanted to do. I didn't wait for the government. Um, if the government were to pull out tomorrow, we would not collapse. It would be tough. Um, but we would not collapse. So that's the encouragement I want to give to people who want to do it. If you really want to do it, this is not something one goes into and says, you know, I'm going to make a living out of it and I'll help a few kids. If you do, you won't be around very long. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if the um, society doesn't take you out, the universe will. <laughs> you don't get away with that stuff. Um, so, yeah. What is one kind of piece of wisdom or advice that you would pass on, pass on to your younger self? Um, you know, I, the reason I'm here is because I'm an attorney. I have a, I have a, a storefront law office up the block. Um, I, I had decided to... Wait, you do this? You do everything here and then you... <laughs> uh, right. Something has to pay the bills. Do you sleep? I mean, uh, and, and, and I raised three kids. And I raised three kids. Running, this, this is the really nice thing about all of, of everyone who is listening that is in nonprofits. In the end, um, it's extremely rewarding. Right. You know, this accounts for very little part of my finances, but a hell of a large part of my professional happiness. And that part I wouldn't change for anything. Um, but uh, again, I, I had come, I, the reason I had come on to this project was um, that the place had came, you know, precariously close to closing mm -hmm. uh, 10 years ago. And a few members had known that I was a, a, a Spanish attorney, a, a Spanish American attorney, and I had just come back from living abroad. And um, I just set up shop here, and somebody walked into my, it was Lolo, the old uh, operator of the restaurant, that walked in and said, we, we really need help. And I ended up donating hundreds of hours uh, pro bono. And, um, you know, we managed to make sure that the society did not close. Me and many, many other people who really donated a lot of time. Um, including a, a fantastic board of directors, thank goodness that we have. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, it wasn't just the restaurant, it was all the dreams that we have, especially for this building. Um, you know, if I could have done it over again, it would probably be to make sure you take every step slowly and think about every project before you take it on. 
um, because especially when you have a building, um, you know, one thing leads to the next and you can, so what happens is that when we were so involved in construction, for example, we felt that maybe we weren't doing as good a job on the, you know, the mission of the society. So uh, how do we reconcile those two things? Um, how do we continue to grow uh, while still meeting our mission? How do we open up a restaurant downstairs and be able to finance that project and still make things affordable? So, you know, where's the temptation now? So now for a few times, maybe when we rented upstairs, we weren't as benevolent as normally we were because we realized, well, this person's willing to pay a good amount of rent. But sometimes, you know, you have to, you know, straddle that fine line. Um, but yeah, in the end, I, I really have nothing but good things to say about running a nonprofit. I think the direction of my personal life is certainly headed in this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, you won't find too many lawyers that are thrilled with their jobs as, as um, people who are working in nonprofits. And so, you know, I'm quite a happy person. Cool. So in the 10 years, this is your 10th anniversary, Basically, uh, what have you learned in that 10 years from going from cutting up rat brains in, a, in an NYU lab to, to where you are today doing a thousand workshops a, a year? Um, I think the biggest thing, uh, it's, it's so simple, but it is persistence. Uh, it's being okay with failing, uh, learning from that failure and uh, coming out another day with the new projects, uh, with all my previous learnings, uh, whether it's successes or failures and continuing to build new things. Any failures that you could I think the biggest one, uh, or you know, the initial one was such large ambitions to be an international organization doing work around the world. Uh, was It was humbling to, to do our first project in Brazil and understanding that it's hard to get something launched off mm -hmm. uh, from the very beginning. Um, but when we look back at it, it, it was all the tiny steps of, of continuing to do this, you know, on a day in, day out basis. Um, the first few years, you know, I was doing building beats uh, really at a, yeah, like a weekend thing. I, I had different jobs at the time, so it wasn't my full time thing. Mm -hmm. um, but learning how to build a habit to make sure that building beats was a part of my, my life, whether it was on a weekly basis, monthly basis. Um, but now, you know, daily basis is uh, what I would call is like building that heartbeat for organization and uh, just making sure you have that pace, uh, keeping that pacing going. And, you know, to the point now, I'm fortunate that I can spend my full time doing it. Uh, now being the heartbeat for the, the volunteers, the workshop leaders, our staff um, and our students and showing them that. As long as you build a habit to do whatever project you want to do on a regular basis, uh, you'll learn from it and you'll keep at it. Because um, when it gets irregular, it's, it's when it's hard to keep things going. Right. All right. Cool. So you did this last year. Yes. What did you? What would you go back in time and tell yourself? What's something to pass on to your? To myself. So a year ago, I guess a year ago, right? Um, we had a really great event last year. It was one of our most successful. We raised the most money we raised to date. So those are things I definitely want to <laughs> continue with. Um, 
I think just the, you know, the planning and the prep and working with the chefs is really important. We'll meet with all the chefs ahead of time, at least once or twice. Yeah, especially the new chefs, you know, letting them know more about what we do. We even have chefs, um, if they want, they can come tour our space so they can look at the kitchen and see what they're going to be up to and dealing with that day. But I think it's just a lot of planning and preparing and then having fun that day. I think last year, since it was my first year, you know, right. you're kind of nervous and you're like, okay, I got to get up on stage in, a, in an hour. So right. just, I guess, taking more of it in and being able to talk to everybody right. uh, and have fun. Because our guests are having fun, so we should have a lot of fun too. <laughs> right. <laughs> or what is something that you've kind of learned uh, in the process of running a nonprofit? Yeah. Um... It's ever-changing. Uh, you have to be, there's trends in uh, funding opportunities, there's uh, topics of choice. So, uh, storm, like we're talking about now, stormwater runoff is a big issue. And then uh, urban agriculture, all these different topics, uh, they can, you have to be flexible to know what is being kind of on trend almost uh, to be relevant. And so uh, there were times where people were more concerned about one thing or another. And, um, and um, if you're not receptive to what's going on in the city, you can stay behind and uh, you have to be adaptable and flexible. The environment is ad hoc. You, just like that, the business world is. It's a small business, and um, you kind of have to be um, adaptable and flexible so that you can stay relevant and uh, reach your, your mission. All right. Definitely. All right. It's very good. good. Very tricky for a nonprofit. So. Right. I'm flying out tonight through thunder and rain. Someone's got us by the strings now and I'm playing puppet games Everything is shaking and there's nothing I can do This old crazy situation Reminds me of All right, great. So that was uh, Amani House, La Nacional, and the Spanish Benevolent Society, Building Beats, the Impact Network, with uh, talking about Chefs for Impact, and then Trees New York. What did you think of the advice in this uh, episode, so or this segment? So some of the advice um, really hit home for me, and then I sort of was smiling as I was listening to the founder of Amani House with her advice to herself, which was don't do it. <laughs> because I think... Yeah, there is a lot of work that goes into taking your initiative and pushing it forward. Um, and I think, of course, she wouldn't have listened to her own advice because she's, you know, in the same breath, you know, tells a story of that child who didn't have not to read and how quickly they were able to do it. But it is really exhausting. And I think advice to consider is it's not going to be an instant success that it's going to take time. I remember when I used to do theater, 
uh, I went to hear uh, a bunch of producers. I was I was writing and directing and producing, and one of you know these were very successful producers, and they said, if you don't like that play enough to spend five years with it, don't start. And I remember thinking, like, what? I'm going to write a play in two weeks, which was, like, how prolific I was at the time. And then I'm going to produce it and be moving on. And I thought that I would just be this engine moving through. And then as I started to do take the written word and, and bring it to the stage, right, I realized what that person meant when he said the five years. Because you don't know where the funding is going to come from. You don't know if it's going to come, where you're going to have the space. And all of those things that he was telling us as aspiring and current theater professionals are really true. And I think about that with social impact that if you're if you have a vision you have to really be able to commit to it um, and that it isn't going to happen as quickly I mean there were other things that were said I I, I noted that the head of La Nacional had said you know take slow steps right be careful about it I know that um, chefs for impact talked about planning and preparation she noted still have fun I mean don't just become this robot of I must do social good I must do social good if we're not enjoying it um, it's not we're not in it for the money right, right. that being said uh, there's been this ongoing theme about money and i just want to kind of say my um not just two cents i think i want to put like a whole dollar on the table right. on this which is for those of us who are not independently wealthy um we cannot allow only those that are to be involved in philanthropy um we have to find a way that we can self-care enough come up with a business plan to get involved in a way that we can be creating jobs in the social impact environment and we can be demanding the pay to do the social impact work. Um, and that, you you know, people keep saying it's, it, it's not just left to those that are, you know, um, going to say, I'm never going to make a living. You have to make a living. You have to find a way to make a living doing it because if it's only a side hustle, when the job gets difficult, the side hustle disappears. And so there's someone who talked about, I think it was the leader of Building Beats, and he talked about taking the tiny steps and that, you know, doing it consistently and like building that habit. So not only are you needing to build it a habit, but you have to have that plan of how you're going to take what is a side hustle, what is a habit, which is something that you're doing just when you can find time and designing way that it can be something that's fulfilling to you. That's important for all of the people that are doing this work is to find a way. And even if they have the economic privilege that they can afford not to work, for those of us who don't have that economic privilege, I ask them to figure out how to make it sustainable, how to make jobs in this field. Um, I was at a continuing legal education lecture very recently, and one of the topics that came up was this concept of a benefit corporation um, and benefit limited liability companies. And one of the older attorneys in the room raised his hand and he asked a very cynical question, oh, what's the point? And this is just a... And I went over to him after it was over, because this wasn't my opportunity to like grandstand. I went over to him and I talked about the work that we do and that, you know, it's really my premise. And this is not just based on what I read in a book. This is my, you know, 20 years of like on paper adulthood, right? Of, of looking and saying that we cannot just have everything be free for all, because it has to be paid for. And it can't be only those that are working harder get everything. That And I, that's where I'm really committed to doing the social impact work, where you can teach people to own themselves, to create a job that's not necessarily a zero-sum game. My getting a grant doesn't mean that you can't be successful in the venture that you're doing. And to bring that business mind, and I think the leader of um, Trees New York said it pretty succinctly and, and pretty 
true. You talked about the trends. Just like in the for-profit business, you have to be aware of trends that are occurring. It happens in not-for-profit. It doesn't mean that you need to chase the next dollar but you, in terms of changing your mission to fit what's fashionable, but you have to recognize that there is a fashion and that there are funding priorities and set yourself up in a way to be able to ride that wave when it may come, but also plan and squirrel away to have things so that you can survive it when you're not trendy because the needs are going to be there even if you're not on the front page of the newspaper. Um, and so I, I always like to think, and when I have people come early, you ask me, what, what does it mean when somebody comes to you with their idea? Well, what I ask them in a very confidential setting is, what are your bills right now? What do you need to be making in a year? Who can you go to for help to get you there? And what is your job? And can you keep your job and have the energy to do this side hustle? And for how long can you do that? Um, because I see too many people burn out quickly and I think I heard a little of that in the leader of a money house when she said she used to say stay till two in the morning and now she says now I don't do that right now now I hope she has the support she needs so she wouldn't need to do it and there are going to be 2 a.m. nights or mornings um, that your organization is going to bring but if it's every night at 2 a.m. you're not going to be able to do that for very long and you're not going to be a good person to work with or around um, and this is something that I'm really committed to in terms of I mentioned earlier the self-care um, if you're not having fun, I mean, she, she laughed as she said it, chefs, chefs for impact, right? Like you have to find ways to find joy in it. It can't just all be, you know, the world is on my shoulder, right? right. You, you've got to shrug. You've got to like, let that off and find out what it is that you're able to do and to take your piece and to keep growing it. So like what starts as that side hustle, that small habit can form in a way if you plan correctly so that it becomes sustainable for you. Right. Um, and it is totally possible. It's not easy. But I think if we really are serious about the work, it's long work, it's every day, it's step by step. Um, and I think there were elements of that that were mentioned by the folks that shared. I mean, I know Lanasanel had said that when he talked about the, the slow steps. And um, I, I think the habit, the habit building concept that Building Beats had brought up is also a big part of that. This has been amazing to, to hear a lot of the insights that you were able to pull out of these interviews that I've probably listened to several times just in the editing process and, and to take it so much further. I, I'm always inspired. And that's part of the reason why for any like unhappy lawyers that may be listening to this, <laughs> um, join me. Because when you find out what other people are doing and like how really how little it takes to help them get further along their path, it is really rewarding. I mean, I just today... I, you know, today was a full day of work for me with my day job, but I still was able to fit in four different calls with four different social impact um, entrepreneurs. And even in just those small brief calls to try to go over some of the things that were um, necessary, uh, I know that in each one of those conversations, we were able to identify issues that they need help with that push their mission along. And all four of those organizations are doing incredible work. And I turn off the news happily and turn on to use my time to specifically help individuals working on something because I can sit and cry about the state of the world and that's not going to fix it. What I can do is my little piece and I think all of us can do that and it's so inspiring that um, you're bringing light to those folks that are doing this work all around the world. I mean here in the New York metro region but all over the world and I, hearing them just inspires me to, for, in my own work because um, it isn't easy, but we aren't alone. And so like you're building a community and thank you for doing that. May I plug our upcoming deadline? Uh, sure, okay. absolutely. Um, 
So for people who may be listening to this and wanting to get involved in the work that we do, not just as a volunteer, if you are as a volunteer, definitely, or a supporter, for sure, speed dial me. Um, but if you think that you might need help from our services, um, I would welcome you to contact me directly and share with me the mission of your work, um, why you deserve and should have help from us, and what you think your needs are. Um, and that can be, you can call me, I gave a phone number, you can email me. Our deadline is um, December 15th at midnight. Um, and we will be making decisions and that for those following two weeks. And our new launch will be January 1st. So, and we do this every uh, year, twice a year. So if you miss December 15th, you can contact us before June 15th for our July 1st runaround. And um, it's a great way to get involved with the work that we do and move your uh, idea or and we, and we allow people who are a little bit further down the road but want to do some rethinking or have something specific that we can ha take care of for them right. um, so we welcome we welcome people to contact us excellent well this is great thank you for taking all the time to, oh, to listen to all these and, and, and uh, give some of your insights also obviously I want to just thank all the amazing people that have been able to interview over the last year and a half almost two years oh a huge uh, thank you to Ole for his music and the Center for Social Innovation which has uh, been a place where I've met you and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other the people who have been on the podcast it's been a great uh, resource for, for me and I'm sure for a lot of other people as well in the light of this fame to you, I'll always be just another loser in the rain. We're going to hear from uh, the leaders from Imani House, which is an organization that works both uh, on the ground in where the heck did they work? Liberia. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad a you test. know these it's things. It's a teacher. I got a test. <laughs> I passed.